Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag Podcast, presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar, with my co-hosts, Anissa, Kristen, and Mariah. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome to episode 16 of the Not Just a Hashtag podcast. Today we have the type of episode that we feel very deeply (laughs) um, because it affects us still to this day because it's like what we're dealing with currently and we'll always deal with it because it has to do with families Mm -hmm. and the dysfunctions of our family. But before we get to that, how are you guys doing? Good. So glad to be here and about this talking about this topic too. Mm. Yeah, I think this topic for me um, will really just be even processing, even on the spot today, for sure. But it's very important. How are you doing, Anissa? I'm good. I am good. I sound very sick. I'm not sick. I don't know. I'm just congested. So I think I like how I sound better, though. I'm like on the verge of being, I wish... I wish my voice was a little raspy. <laughs> I always feel like I have a strong voice when I'm not a strong, but like a more like of a, a presence. Vo- yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, ooh, uh, there's a nice rasp I there. I know. Yeah. That's unfortunately not what's happening. I just sound really nasally. <laughs> my voice is still all here. I would love to have a little lost voice. So, okay, hit us with the current event, Anissa. Okay, so one of our current events, probably like three, four weeks ago now, was about a New Jersey judge who had said a lot of awful things about a 16-year-old girl who had been raped at a party. She was clearly intoxicated. Um, It was filmed. All these atrocious details ended up coming forward, and he wanted that judge wanted to err on the side of leniency for the boy because he came from a good family and had the chance of going to a good college and all these things that really don't matter and um i was watching this youtube show (laughs) there's one particular show i always watch when i'm getting ready and he um is really great with just giving a lot of facts from an unbiased perspective and he brought up um the case of the girl who had been raped and how she's now coming forward to share her side of the story and he was saying that she essentially kind of wrote this like um not a memoir necessarily but just like is stating her facts and there was a really short clip of what it's going to be and in it she says like for the last several months I've been this nameless victim that's just all I've been is 16 year old rape victim 16 year old rape victim no one knows my name everyone knows his name everyone knows his side of the story but I'm going to share mine and I'm going to use my voice and my name isn't 16 year old rape victim. And so just listening to that really short clip, I was so like proud of her. Um, I was talking to, to Nicole about it and I was like, this is so 
incredible that she's already like it's been such a short amount of time and she's already you know being so proactive and taking this initiative to go forward and set the record straight and share her side of things and say like this is not like this is something terrible that happened to me but it's not who I am like this tragedy this awful thing done against me this crime is like not my identity it's not my name like it's just not who I am so I'm really excited about that I think like in a world of awful news and even just doing current events that revolve around sexual assault and rape and even watching this YouTube channel every morning while I'm getting ready so frequently he covers like um you know victims that are coming forward who have been um especially like in Hollywood involved in the Me Too movement and even recently there was more like Weinstein Weinstein (laughs) stuff that came out like today and um I know it's just it's never ending and it's so scary and it's really crazy but amidst all that I think it's really encouraging to see someone so young 16 saying no like I'm not going to just be this nameless victim like I refuse so I'm really excited for that to come out I'm sure that when she does publish that and it's available we're definitely going to talk about that a lot because already in that really short snippet there were so many things that we've talked about as far as like dispelling lies and recognizing false beliefs and really making your voice known so I thought that was a an exciting bit yeah of current event news I love that um yeah, because it's like if you think about our stories and thinking like most of us had been sexually abused when we were kids um, and then having to come out at 16, just the difference our life would be being really strong and, you know, dealing with the, the abuse and not just letting it take over our lives because that's what it does. It silences you for years. And I'm proud of her that she was strong enough to come out at 16. It says a lot about her parents, probably, that they were, like, like empowering Mm -hmm. her. Um, Actually, which leads me to another topic. Um, This is kind of off the cuff, but I just want it got me thinking. So I had been talking to somebody the other day, and they said to me, what is the difference between the Me Too movement and your podcast, not just the hashtag? I thought it was funny because I was like, they're totally different. But if you're listening and you have been wondering the same thing, I thought we did say what it was, but let's just re- kind of visit that Set if you don't the record mind. Straight. Yeah, mm-hmm. because the lady who started it, last name Burke, um, she had originally started it in 2006 because she was sitting with a young girl, a friend that was a teenager, and that girl had shared that she had been sexually abused. And in her mind, Burke had said, Me too, but she never disclosed that to her. So she said she felt remorse and that she never actually stuck up for her or told her me too. And that's originally where it started. So she started this movement and it was an empowerment and a um, like an awareness and empowerment movement. Well, the difference between us and that is we are the next step. We are, I would have said to that young lady, not only me too, but following that that you're not just a part of a movement you're not just a part of a time period in life where this is going to become a big deal that you are more than this and your story matters and that there's hope for you and she may look back at me and say well how do I get the hope and I would say by not minimizing and doing the hard work you have to walk through the healing journey and that's what we're doing here on these podcasts but the not just the hashtag if just to sum it up it's a support and it helps you walk through the healing journey 
And so that's an, me too is just a, an empowerment movement. And we're just a step beyond that. Would you guys agree with all that? Yeah. I think it's a good mm-hmm. description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We want to get you thinking and processing. Yeah. We Even, don't want to just yeah. leave you there and go, Hey, you're really empowered. You had me and you went through this. So if there's a huge difference between knowing your story and knowing your story right and actually yeah, right having um knowing it meaning factually where you can retell it and that's it right versus um processing through it and realizing the effects of it yeah and, and getting some he- and getting some healing for it and get and that's the key and that's where mm-hmm. not just hashtag steps in is that we recognize that people don't live here in south florida and we offer healing groups here in South Florida, but we want to say, we'll meet you wherever you're at with this healing message, because we hope that you not, you, you f- hear hope in our voices and that you say, okay, I'm, I want my life to be just like that. Maybe not identical to our stories, but sure. you have hope and that you know that you're not alone and it empowers you to be more than just a part of some sort of movement that you do something with this story now. Um, sorry to use myself here, but I used my story to now run a ministry that helps thousands of people. And without you guys helping me every day with what your stories are, I wouldn't be able to do what I do, right? And so every story matters in some way. And that's what thriving really looks like, right? Is is like using what has happened to you for others greater good for sure. their life to be healed. Yeah, purposefulness. Yeah, and I think even just some of the feedback that we've been getting and the encouragement that we've been um, receiving from other people that have been listening is like I one I didn't know what experience what I experienced was even sexual abuse and then two like I didn't realize actually even if I could say yeah I was this is my story I didn't realize that I needed to get healing and that my life could look different so if you think about the me too and um, it gave you the courage just to say me too you don't have to tell your story um, but now you know listening to our stories and like whatever resources we can give you it, it'll help you get to that point with Chris what Kristen said is like okay now I know my story but do I truly understand how it has affected me and how it is going to continue to affect me Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, one of the huge portions of that is what we're going to be talking about today, which is how your family played a role in keeping you silent um, or maybe got you talking about it, but maybe not in the um, most effective way uh, that helps you heal. And um, so that's what we're talking about today. So we are actually going to be on a three part series, just kind of like what we had done before. And for the next few episodes, we're going to talk about how your family and your childhood may be causing some difficulty in your road to healing. We don't want to bash families, though. So I just want to say that this is not to just like sit here and rip on our families and and just say all the horrible things that they have done. But we want to celebrate our families, but at the same time, not be um, like putting our head in the sand and saying um, like, Duh. Like we want to recognize certain things that are happening in our family and see how they could be affecting us. And I think it's really important to say no family is perfect and every single family has some sort of dysfunction to some extent. Obviously, some cases are a lot more severe, but I think there's a lot of comfort in knowing like there's a lot of little closets we like to keep hidden and closed off from the world when it comes to our families and everyone knows that and we don't talk about it but everyone has family secrets 
everyone has dirty laundry that they don't want to air out and just like Nicole said like it's not an opportunity to look at your parents and think like my gosh you guys ruined my life like but it is so important to acknowledge like hmm these are some unhealthy things and this is what I've picked up from you right exactly so just a couple of key points is family issues tremendously affect sexual abuse recovery we know in some cases parents or fam- family members were the abusers. In other cases, pam- parents or family members are completely unaware of what abuse was happening. Whatever your case is, we're hoping we can help you start to understand the role that your family played in your sexual abuse and the role that they can now play in your recovery. Oftentimes, whether realized by the survivor or not, there is a great deal of anger towards parents. Um, how many people in this room <laughs> feel that way mm. at some point? Yeah. At different times in my healing journey, different times I've felt different things. I've gotten over certain things that used to really affect me. And now I'm way more aware of my emotions and how I can be triggered by my parents and my family, really, which is a healthy thing because before I would just get set off. But now I'm like, because I've done the hard work, I'm more aware. Do you guys feel the same way? Yeah, I think... um I think I had to allow myself to be angry and allow myself to face it um, because our family dysfunction I kind of took on for myself to protect the people in our family and to, you know, not ruffle any feathers and be the one that's not causing any more conflict. But the reality is, is I had to face the hurt that I experienced that I kind of stuffed away. And, um, and in that, even though it was hurtful to have to kind of pull away from my family for a while and work through some of these things um, and the anger and allow myself to feel that, it actually helped me see my family in a different light and actually love them better and to let go of this hidden bitterness that I had. And now, like you said, Nicole, like I approach my family differently. Like if there's conflict, my hope is to restore it. Where in the other sense, it would just add to my anger or my hidden bitterness, or it would give me another reason to feel like our my family's not good enough. And one, they didn't deserve that. And two, it clouded the positive things about my family it clouded all of that because I only focused on the negative and um, you know there was a time and my family members listening to this can say that I pulled away for a year maybe two where I just needed time away to kind of work on me work on my side of things and you know I can't change anyone else but myself so in my my part of it was just to work on how I was processing and dealing with it and how that was affecting how I was even approaching the healing of my sexual abuse. And in that journey, it actually helped me kind of even face the things that I needed um, restoration for in my family hurts. So it really was kind of like this circle and this cycle. They both helped me heal as a whole. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think, too, that's so healthy, what you were describing about owning your side of it, because you can't um, own anyone else's journey, you know, and I think that's where things can get so mixed up when we try to, um, when we feel as if we are responsible for other people's, like in our families, um, whether it's their pain, their frustration, their anger, it doesn't mean that you don't take responsibility for what you may have done to cause some of that, but it's, your journey is yours, and until we untangle that, and own our own stuff, um, then I think it looks really dysfunctional and complicated. So I'm, 
I think it's really good what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And two, I think people can say like, oh, the, like that's you abandoning your family, but it's like you need time and distance mm-hmm. from situations. And even with my family, it wasn't until I got married and was like out of my house that I was able to see things more clearly because it's almost like, you know, as cheesy as the analogy is, I don't even know if this is like a common analogy, but it's like if you did have a picture right up against your eyes like you can't see what it is and then if you pull it away you can obviously see the picture more clearly and recognize things and actually have the opportunity to recognize things in yourself which is another huge thing since I got married (laughs) I'm like wow like there's so many parts of me I never saw because I was so like in the mix of this like you know, family dynamic that did have a lot of unhealthy things and I love my parents so much my mom's like my best friend, but you know, like a lot of dysfunction, a lot of unhealthy tendencies that I never saw until I was out with some distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, that's what I was going to say is that, um, when I got married three years ago, the first year, my parents still tried to contact me and like, not that I was like, I'm out, but kind of, I was like, thank God. <laughs> Nicole's like, rest. they were trying to like call me and text me. And I'm like, who's this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Nicole's like como? new last name who dis <laughs> I'm like an Escobar now so I'm like como yeah you're like who are you <laughs> yeah so um no but you got me thinking when you just started talking about like distance is yes you don't realize the toxicity of your family dynamic and then your poor person that you marry you come in with all this stuff they've like at least my husband he had been single and out on his own for years so you know he didn't really have that that happening like I did I left my parents house at 34 30 how old am I 37 yeah 34 that's a lot of years guys to be in a home like an adult woman hanging out with your parents oh it's kind of embarrassing actually no but I truly believe in purity before getting married so well and I feel like it's a cultural thing too like my mom was crushed when I left the house before I was married like when I went away to college and I like lived up in West Palm and then even when I came back and like was looking for apartments and like didn't want to live at home it was like so culturally like unforgivable yeah where my mom was like but you're not married <laughs> right. you have to live at home right so I think that's normal you're Italian yeah um so yeah I totally agree and I'm glad that you said that because I think you can be living at home and not realize how dysfunctional your family unit is and the way you communicate with each other and the way that um you go about life until you're out and you're now looking and in and going okay, wow, I have some things and areas I need to grow. And and that brings God into all this. Like, thank God that he doesn't just go, okay, well, I'm done with you. This is how I want, like, you're going to just stay as you are. Like when he brings you out of that, he's a gentle soul and doesn't let you see all of it at once. And we experience slowly these things. Like I had not realized certain things until three years being out of my house, how, um, my Raph said to me, every time you talk to me about something you're passionate about, you yell at me. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm just talking. And then he, yeah. And he was like, no, you should hear the height of your voice. Height? That, no. Yeah, whatever. The volume, volume. of your voice. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 
that's and I started thinking about when my mom and dad are talking to each other they're like what's wrong with you that's also an Italian there's so many things that I think are like cultural I also like do get very worked up and David will just like be staring at yeah. me like wide-eyed and yeah. like like petrified and I'm like what that's normal what are you talking about <laughs> why are you acting like a baby yeah. yeah right yeah and it just goes to show just talking about where it affecting your healing is sometimes it we don't know any different that's just the cultural side of things does also affect how you're going to approach your your experience Absolutely. and what you do with even changing some of your culture, which seems kind of, you know, against maybe what your family is okay with. Good point. I'm glad you brought that up. So the next topic we want to talk about is there may be specific characteristics of a dysfunctional family identified by counselors. We're going to say five, but we're really going to dissect two of those in this episode and then we're going to get into the other ones in the next couple of episodes so let's address what a dysfunctional family actually means or actually the word dysfunctional it means the inability of a family member to meet the god-given needs for nurture whoa that is totally my mom and my dad i love you if you're listening but you know nurture is not a familiar word to me at all when you guys hear the word nurture, what it, what comes to your mind? I mean, I think what nature nurture. <laughs> I think that like when I think nurture in the sense of family, the things you need like touch and comfort and um, being heard and being feeling safe and being taken care of of just physical needs, but emotional, spiritual, like as a whole person, mm-hmm. which obviously we can't fulfill hundred percent. So. But yeah, that's what I think of nurture. And I think too, I mean, a good picture of this, I think is if, is if anyone has taken care of a plant or you may be completely a green thumb person. And so you very well know this, but think about it. You take care of that plant. You Is it getting enough water? Is it growing? Do I need to put more, um, what is it? The food for the plants? Plant food? Plant food. <laughs> um, is it getting enough sunlight? All those things are nurturing that plant so that it can what? So it can grow. Mm-hmm. So it's a very similar thing. Like yeah. What, you know, nurturing as far as um, children and family members go. What do they need so that they can grow? And that's grow in every way. Physically, emotionally, um, spiritually, intellectually. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a plant's probably a good picture of that. That is a good picture. I don't have a green thumb at all, but I watch my husband out there with little clippers and I'm like... Oh, that's so cute. Right. He's like He's taking doing what care it needs of it. So it yeah. Can grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So usually these. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> that's so nice. That's nice. <laughs> well, because it's it's nurturing is, um, you. I mean, Anissa is, is by me all the time. Would you say I'm a nurturer? It's okay to say no. It's unfamiliar to me. So it's almost like what is difficult. Laughable. No, but there are so many different ways to nurture a person and I think that a lot of times we do immediately think of like a mother nurturing her baby but it's like you can also nurture certain like talents and qualities in a person I think you do that very well as a boss like having employees it's like you know how to nurture someone's talents and the things that they're interested in their passions it's like the people always need to be nurtured in different ways like there's so many facets to nurturing a person and I think we can get hung up thinking like Mm -hmm. you know that it's just for like um a child developing and that is true but it's also like I need to nurture my husband and like his passions like what do I do to nurture David to make 
him continue to progress past where he is now like with his job with the lord like how am i a nurturing friend like do i do that so i think you know it's always unfair to look at something so like yeah or one-sided and not Mm -hmm. you know like there's so many ways you can nurture people as a boss as a friend as a wife as a sibling like as a child you know it's not just like well, I'm really glad that you explained that because it really does encourage me and I'm hoping you as listeners that if you didn't get that from your family, that you still may have uh, that in you just in a different way. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think that looks one way. In one way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So usually these families are unable to communicate their feelings, both positive and negative in a consistent and caring way. They are unable to meet the needs of each family member. But again, we just want to remind you, no family is perfect and able to express their feelings. It's very, very hard, especially if your parents have not gone through healing, don't know how to express. And if they receive that from their parents, they don't know how to express um, their feelings or their emotions. In most of the families that um, sexual abuse occurred, the family is clearly dysfunctional. But this does not mean that all dysfunctional families are sexually abusive. Mm We want you to be thinking about your family and each primary member. So that would be anybody if it's, you know, your mom, your dad, but maybe your mom and dad were absent so your brother took care of you or whatever, whoever that primary member is in that family. What does each individual represent to you? For example, who in your family represents comfort or expectations or abuse or peace or rescuing or neglect? How do you feel about each one? Now we're going to go over five common characteristics of a dysfunctional family and we want you to be thinking about your own while you hear these. One, needy family members receive an inappropriate portion of the family's time, attention, and energy so that members learn to be overly responsible toward needy people and irresponsible about themselves. Two, they promote denial and secrecy. Three, has either repressed emotions, explosive emotions, or both. Four, a dysfunctional family does not teach effective living skills to their children, and children do not learn about touch, feel, or trust. They learn to expect rigidity and emotional or physical abandonment. And five is squeezes the members into rigid, inappropriate roles. Okay, my family is all five. (laughs) As I'm reading that, I'm like, yikes. God bless my family. We definitely are um, different, um, sweet, love them to death, love my parents and everything to death. When you lack emotional intimacy in your family, it can set you up to shut down internally and not give those emotions to others. Right. And I'm sure you could speak for hours on that because that's probably a lot of the world's problems is that we're not like, emotionally connected that we like we need to be well it usually starts from young too because um that's the whole mirroring that happens when um a baby is is developing you know the the mom or the dad the caregiver mirrors back the emotions the baby's expressing and what that shows that that what that's telling that that child is that they have value that they're important that whatever they're feeling is 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 acknowledged and so a lot of times that can start from young when there isn't that mirroring such as I was just reading this report the other day that was talking about um, parents when they're feeding the child looking at their phone instead of looking at the baby 
because a lot of times the interaction, especially as they grow, um, they they look up at the mom when they're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, whatever it is, and they're they're starting to do that mirroring. You know, so they're looking and they're making an emotion. Then the way in which they start to connect is the mom or the caregiver is mirroring back what's happening. But if they're distracted looking at their phone or something else, Mm -hmm. they're not getting that initial connection. Mm -hmm. And so it starts a lot of times from from very young. Those Facebook moms out there. Yeah. And of course, that doesn't mean, you know, you can't look at your phone. But there's a a connection that can that can be a. yeah can be missing we get that i think we all get that because think about how that's not happening yeah think about how you go somewhere right and everyone's had a dinner on their phones i think it goes just just to show that from childhood there can be a lack of emotional intimacy and trust being built at the at the baby level whether that's family members that just couldn't they were trying to survive and they were just helping their baby survive and you know what i mean so just knowing that it's not blaming that parent it's like okay so that was my experience now I can see how that's going to affect how I'm going to deal with my sexual abuse and allowing myself to feel and start to you know talk about things okay so we want you to remember we're only going to really go into the first two that we had just talked about and the other ones will be covered in the next episode So one, needy family members receive an inappropriate portion of the family's time, attention, and energy so that members learn to be overly responsible toward needy people and irresponsible about themselves. Can I just want to say one quick thing because I think it was um, what I said just needed a follow-up. I I think it's important that we understand though, even if someone had that experience where they were lacking connection um, young, and that kind of the emotional intimacy didn't start there, it can still be repaired and learned later on. That's so important because sometimes it's very discouraging to hear it like, I know my mom wasn't there for, or my caretaker, you know, whoever raised me, they, they weren't connected. They were very stressed. They, all, you know, all kinds of things can be going on. So, or there was lots of abuse in the house, you know, whether it was sexual, physical, emotional, whatever kind, but this can be repaired, particularly in healthy connections. It can repair this. So that's why relationships are so healthy relationships are so important. Can you give me an example of how it can be repaired? Well, just think of how, I mean, have you ever been, I mean, in any relationship, whether it's a friendship, whatever kind of relationship that it is that actually is healthy and you almost like feel something changing within you when someone listens to you and connects with you and acknowledges how you're feeling or who you are and value shows value that you're valuable. Like there's something very healing in that. And having that kind of a relationship or having multiple relationships like that can be very healing. And you and we can learn that like, oh, that is possible. Because for some people, you had no idea that's possible until you actually experience it. And it's like, oh, man, okay, I am valuable. It's important what I have to say. Like you finally have someone acknowledge that. It's very powerful. And that's where healing can happen. I feel all that with you guys. <laughs> I do. Mm. This is where the healing begins. (laughs) Same. Love you all. Love you all. Is that a Toby Mac song? I think so. Oh my God, I was kidding. Yeah, Kristen actually um, sparked a thought that I had, and we've talked about this amongst ourselves. Um, Some sometimes like within your family unit relationships will never be nurturing and that's just the reality of 
your family unit and you know like mariah had said earlier you can work on yourself the only person you can change is yourself you can't change anyone doesn't matter who it is you can't change them people can only work on themselves so unfortunately a lot of times like you'll never have the ideal healthy relationship within your family that you really want and that's where great friendships can come in healthy relationships with um you know the opposite sex or you know just having really good girlfriends and having those relationships in your life that are really uplifting and healthy and full of boundaries and space and encouragement and that's where like Kristen was saying like the healing can come from those relationships like it uh, it unfortunately like probably won't come from family if there has been you know a lot of volatile situations or dysfunction um, but it can come from friends and I know that Nicole and I can both say that we've definitely gotten that from our husbands so where a family member may fall short, you know, other people can pick up that slack. And I think there's a lot of hope in that. You can feel really overwhelming, like, oh, I'll never be really close to my mom or like this relationship with my dad is so broken. But that's where other people and healthy community come into play and can really bridge so many gaps. Thank you, Anissa, for sharing that. I totally agree. So an emotionally needy family member may be the one who is addicted to alcohol, drugs, or other abusive compulsive behaviors, and the energy and attention of the family are directed towards caring for the emotional needs of this family member and not to personal needs. Can you identify a member of your family who was emotionally needy? What effect did living in the family with this person have on you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, if you have any addiction in your family, there is going to be this rule of, you know, unspoken rules of don't talk, don't feel, don't trust, don't um, change. And so for me, we have lots of addiction in my family. Mm -hmm. And this was a role that I took on myself was feeling very responsible for other people and be the one to um, counsel them when um, I should be counseled or whatever relationship needs I needed, um, I kind of just put to the side so that I can be the one to rescue the addiction, the addictive person. And so with that, it, it really did just um, affect my life in the sense of even people using that to manipulate me and to get what they want from me. They knew that I felt responsible for them and, and they used that victim mentality to draw me in and, and then abused me. So mm. I think even in the sense of going back to how, um, you know, you have to get out of that to be able to heal. Like I had to get out of that. And even if you're kind of looked on as the wayward family member that just judges your family and thinks that you're better, it's actually to get out of that so you can heal and address the things that you need to. And so in my beginning stages of healing, I still wanted to protect those people. So I didn't want to talk about the things that they did or how it affected me. Um, or make excuses for them. Well, they did this or they were like this and this happened to them. So I understand. But you then I don't allow myself to walk through the hurt of that and the re, my realities. And so even now as an adult and I'm living in a my day to day, I still have to move away from feeling overly responsible for people and 
and kind of pulling whatever I need to the side and not take care of myself. And, you know, then I'm in a place where I'm drained and I'm resentful, but I'm the one that kind of took that role to save them and rescue them. And so in that, I have to really be intentional not to do that and see how am I doing that in my own journey of healing and how I'm looking on to this abuse and the perpetrator even so and I think it's important um to recognize if you're the needy person because in my family dysfunction I was the needy person and so reading this was really hard because I think and I feel comfortable sharing this because my dad has really changed and developed and grown and he has made really big strides but I feel like things vacillated back and forth like if it wasn't me it was my dad and so the entire family was constantly devoting itself to either supporting you know my dad with whatever crazy situation he had brought on himself or me and both me and my dad struggle with addictive behaviors and um my dad again has made really big strides like he had to totally cut alcohol out of his life because it was something that he couldn't handle because he does have an addictive personality and it's something i have to be careful with and i have to recognize that and so if you are the needy person in your family there's so much hope in knowing that you can always change and there are so many resources out there to take advantage of so that your family unit can begin operating in a different capacity at the capacity it was meant to. And it doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you're the problem child. It doesn't mean that, you know, because I, I remember, like full disclosure, I remember so many nights like sobbing and saying to my parents, like, I know things would be so much easier if I wasn't here. And like I felt that like so deeply to my core and I did have like a lot of suicidal thoughts and would express to them like I just know I'm the one that causes problems. Whenever there's an issue, it's like Anissa. Something's happening with Anissa and other extended family members looked on and would see that and it's just like, oh my gosh, like what's wrong with this girl? Like I was always suspended. I was always um, on the verge of expulsion. Like there was just always an issue. I was always in trouble And I felt that like being the needy family member and feeling like, oh my gosh, everyone's just trying to like pick up my slack and like just bear the weight of me as a person. And it's hard and it's very easy to get stuck in a cycle of self-pity and feeling like, oh, like, woe is me. I'm just this messed up person that was bringing everybody down. But it's like, get out of it. It's so hard. You can. And then talk to a counselor Or, you know, start taking steps towards like, okay, what are like really unhealthy behaviors I can recognize in myself that I want to change, you know, and even talk to your family about it. I think that's a great, it was so cathartic for me to open up to my family and say like, I feel very responsible and I feel very bad. And then they spoke truth over me, you know, and I think that that's a great opportunity to give your family too. Yeah, and I think speaking to the family member, maybe the caretaker, you know, in what you just said about if you were the person who you can kind of relate to, um, even the family member, the caretaker that may listen on to this and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was the alcoholic and feeling like you said, like the victim or even just saying like, man, I ruined my kids um, and and what they need and what you can have is change and get help and learn how to 
change the family dynamic as much as it can start with you. And um, I think that's a huge thing, even with family members can feel so much guilt, you know, especially parents or something or whoever was your caretaker. Like no one wants to experience that they failed their kid or they could have done something if they only knew. And so we recognize that. But hopefully this is even encouragement to the family member who is like, okay, so, you know, I can change too. And I, I can make a difference in my life too and, and how I'm going to relate to my, my family now. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you for sharing that, Mariah. Um, okay, so the second one is a dysfunctional family promotes denial and secrecy. Conflict is a normal part of healthy family living. Healthy families expect problems, have healthy ways of coping with them, and will talk about issues even though someone may feel embarrassed or hurt. In my family, although we definitely swept, swept a lot of things under the rug, when I was growing up and during the times where I was that needy person, um, when before I gave my life to Christ, I was like that person. I was always getting suspended I was always getting pulled over I mean it was just like I was the problem and my dad had said to me if you were never born our lives would be much better but he was just trying to correct bad behavior I definitely don't wouldn't say that to somebody but um he was he was trying to tough love me and he did tough love me and what he would do is have family nights where we would talk about everything and then he would basically say these are the rules when you leave this this is the new set of rules that we're going to have and if you don't follow them you don't live here anymore underneath my roof so of course I didn't follow them and I got kicked out and he threw my laundry out on the on the old uh, lawn and was like get out so um, embarrassment and hurt though is what I felt during that time period and um, I had to learn to uh, express my feelings and say that just like Anissa had shared admit that I was the problem the big that I was the common denominator in all those situations um, and you know looking back I'm super grateful that my parents did what they did because it helped correct my behaviors and I'm very grateful for them now um, but we still had our dysfunctions and although we communicated often, there were certain things we never talked about, which is the why I was acting out, which leads me to my next point in a dysfunctional family. They don't talk. Um, they don't talk. They rule keeps. No, the- sorry. The don't talk rule. Like don't talk like, Oh, okay. Which leads me to my next point um in a dysfunctional family the don't talk rule keeps the victim of sexual abuse bound in silence even if the crime is committed by a stranger um so you know i had gone years of thinking that my parents knew i had been sexually abused so i thought this was it well we just don't talk about it right that's what we're talking about here yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you're totally right yeah it's setting a standard setting a standard a precedence of like we just you don't, don't have you this. don't have a voice yeah. like you don't so when something happens to you you have never been given a platform to talk about like things that have happened to you you're feeling so it's like it, you're just living in the pattern that was set up for you by your parents so it makes sense right and even that now, um, even though my parents clearly know I've been sexually abused, I have told them to their faces. I've sat down with them, gone over the exact story. Um, even in that, it was like the the pizza guy showed up right when I said, Dad, I was molested when I was six years old. And he responded with, why didn't you tell your brothers? Because they would have had beat this guy's butt. And I'm like, Dad, 
that's not reality to think that I would have run home, put words to what had just happened to me. Then the doorbell rings, right? And we all get up, walk over, and that's the end of the conversation. It's never been talked about since. So I'm still sort of living this, like we just don't talk about it because the minute it started getting uncomfortable and real and I put my foot down, it was like, it's easier to just change the subject. It's easier to walk away from this. It's easier to not address the full thing because in it will cause pain. And I'm comfortable in that pain, but not everybody else is. And so me and my husband were sitting there like, guys, like who, who, I dare you to get up and go get the door. And I looked at Raf and he was like, I'll get it. Cause he was trying to make room for me and my parents to to continue talking. talking. And my mom was like, like the table set. And it was like, well, now it's time to just move on. So just saying that, that do not talk rule, although I'm very strong in my story now and I'm very passionate about it and my parents clearly know that little um sentiment or understanding of how our family communicates is still there very much so and I think for me too like I know that feeling of just being able to say it and then there's crickets like no comment against it or about it it's just like silence and then change the subject and I think just growing up that was that was just a rule even if it's unspoken we don't talk about what goes on in our family outside of these walls and so I grew up just having to hide it and if I did tell my friend because I needed to talk about it I got reprimanded for it and so in that I carry that still like it's so hard for me just to talk about how I feel and reach out and and just being honest about talking because it's just been so ingrained um you know now I think even my mom is more open to let's talk about it you need to start talking about it which is huge because that's just how we coped with what was going on in our family and then then it it goes inward as well we don't talk about it as a family we don't talk about it um you guys are obviously hurt but we're not going to say anything you know because then we're going to have to actually come to terms with what is actually happening um and so I think just going by how you even process your healing and talk about it it affects that and then now when you're the one that wants to put your foot down and say no we're going to talk about it and and then you're going to have to work through how people respond to that and it's a whole new layer so you know what I mean totally so and that's exactly how I feel and you're right like when you were saying that kind of sparked something in me it's like I could easily go to my parents and say hey guys I want to revisit this conversation that we had but you know in some ways you don't want to beat a dead horse about this topic and the only way that I'm going to do that is my dad has now wanted to become an advocate for trees of hope but I want to make sure that it's clear and direct of why he's becoming an advocate it's not because this is an epidemic that's affecting millions although that's huge This has affected him personally at home base. (laughs) I think there's also a really necessary balance, like a balancing act you have to do, like giving space to process. And when you unload something that heavy, I feel like sometimes you do have to step back for a little bit and let them, like let it marinate and let them like just mull it over and chew on it and then revisit in a few weeks 
and say like, hey, I know that was like a really heavy, hard topic. Like I just wanted to touch base with you about it and see where you're at now that you've had time and distance to really think. I think that there's like a special love in that and sensitivity to the other person. And I'm definitely not for like putting other people's like needs before your own when it comes to sharing your story. But I think that there is a really like special tenderness and allowing like you know there's so many things that I still wouldn't tell my parents and I will never say on this podcast you know out of like love for my parents because I don't want to crush them but certain things that I would want to share with them maybe you know or like that I have I'll always give time before I go back because it's a lot you know yeah but there's all like there's even that sense of in that moment you can even say like I want you guys to process this Mm -hmm. I know it may be a lot but just in that moment when I tell you I just need you to just say thank you for telling us and we're gonna we're gonna support you right now it's a lot to take in but we're gonna love you through this you know just so that you feel supported and telling Mm -hmm. them what you need and it's not just Nicole's case we're talking Nicole because we're processing it but the hardest thing is to let people know what you need because you Mm. may not even know until that moment and then two they may not give you what you need so how are you going to cope with that if you never get what you need yeah. You know? And that's a great question. I love that you just asked that. Not that I want to answer it other than I <laughs> right? am going to answer it because, um, not that in that moment when I had left, Raf asked me that he said, well, what did you need from them that would have made it better? And I said, just a simple Nicole, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Do you realize what that would have done to my entire family in that moment? If we all just came together and they hugged me and they said, Oh my God, I would, be like you know on cloud nine but they didn't even do that they made my dad tried to make me almost make me feel sorry for not talking not saying something to my brothers but where I want to speak to that listener that may have a similar story to me is I before going into that situation I had to know what was honest and true for me and what I was going to stand firm in And what I was standing firm in in was that I was molested and that if my parents agreed or disagreed with that story, it doesn't change what happened to me. And that their response is not, is not, it's how I respond to their response. So I embrace my dad and I say, you know, he just doesn't understand and he's working through his own uh, story in this story. Um, is that going to change anything that's happened to me? No. Is that going to change my story? Is that going to change my pursuit? Is that going to change my passion? No. All it's going to do is maybe give me a little bit more compassion and empathy towards him that he's still trying to process all of this. And I have to remember, I've been on this journey for six years or so, whatever. I love that you, the way you phrased it was perfect. And I think that should be everyone's perspective and proactive approach is regardless of the response no matter what it is it's not going to change my stance or what I'm going to do with my story and you know I think your dad is like making really sweet steps in the right direction and I think like eventually he will view it like yeah I'm so fired up about this because my daughter is a survivor and I was betrayed by this situation like I really do firmly believe that your dad will come to that conclusion you know it's just 
it's a process and even sharing your story and seeing how other people respond and take it and start to change and grow. But I can understand why you would feel so like, wow, I gave you guys an opportunity to literally come around me and support me and no one took me up on it. That's very hurtful. Yeah, especially since I have been expressing for like the past five years that they had been or I feel like we're emotionally unavailable to each other. And I felt like that was kind of like a little softball teed up to just hit a home run and kind of come, but they just didn't take it. Yeah. Uh, But again, I have to remember it's all good. And I don't say that to minimize the situation. I say that because it's par for the course. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some things you never want to have to ask for. Like, seriously, I have to literally ask you, hey, can you like give me a hug and tell me that you love me and you're sorry that this happened? Like there are some things you never want to voice needing because you would hope that it would just be such a natural response from the person. (laughs) It goes to show it goes to show like what we're talking about, what what to say and what not to say how much of a difference in what you say, why didn't you do this versus I'm sorry with a hug and this should never have happened to you. You know what I mean? And tell us what you need. Tell us what it was like for you. Even if it's hard for them, you know, that sacrifice because you need it. And if you're willing to give that to someone, you hear their story after you hear their story, look at what difference that would have made for that person. And so hopefully this even sheds shed more light on what you can, because a lot of people say, what am I supposed to say? Like, do they want to hug? Like maybe because they just talked about sexually, they don't want me to touch them. That's, that's reality too. But know that your words can go a long way. And this is a great example of what we've already said too, in that sense, you know? Yeah, I also, one of the lessons I have learned over the past like couple years is it, obviously in the work that I do here, but is when somebody shares something that's um, important to them is to literally slow down and, and look them in the eye and just say, I'm so sorry, like that happened to you. And I hate following it up with what do you need from me because sometimes they don't even know what they need from you. But me saying to them, like, I would love to support you in this way, in this time and you sharing what you shared. And I may miss the mark in meeting your expectations. And I'm going to tell you kind of like, I'll be there for you if you need a friend. I'll be there to hash things out with you. But if you need more than that, I need to know. Like, because I won't know. That's I won't. I definitely won't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't always get that right. But I've had in the past couple of months, couple well, years, really, a couple of girlfriends share and it was almost like, you know, sip of water. I was raped three times and it's like, anyways, so what are we doing tonight? And I'm like, whoa, guys, like, can we just stop for a second and honor and res- like actually not minimize what this girl just or this guy just There's shared? Space for it. Yeah. And like, whoa, like I almost need to make a big deal about it. So they recognize what has happened to them is a huge deal. It changed their whole life. So I digress um, just how important it is to uh, talk through things no matter what your family system was like and to see the importance of um, honoring humans in their stories and and also speaking life over them when you get that opportunity. I mean, I think that's the essence of this entire podcast is to be doing that. Okay, so the next thing we want to talk about is how your family solved problems when you were a child. Families solve problems in many ways, and healthy families realize that they have choices when confronting a particular issue. If one method doesn't work, then just try another. 
I joke, I laugh because that was not how it worked in my family. It was one size fits all for all problems. So, oh, unhealthy families will often use the same dysfunctional methods over and over. Well, really, that's my family. So often the rule will be don't rock the boat because members overreact so strongly that anyone is afraid to mention a problem or issue. Now we want you to consider the effect your family method of responding to problems has had on your abuse recovery. Some dysfunctional families look perfectly normal on the surface, but regardless of the orderly house, nice yard, food on the table, and clothes in the closet, the parents may not be emotionally available for their children. Another important thing to note, dysfunctional families keep the secret of sexual abuse. Other families may or may not actually know about the abuse, but everyone is aware that something is wrong. The family members work together to keep the secret that something is wrong, especially from non-family members. Those who are allowed access to the home are screened carefully and the family acts as though all is well and the visitor only sees the performance. We want to ask you this question. Was your family open to the outside world? Were you free to talk about your family to others? I don't necessarily have an answer for that. I just feel like a lot of weird conflict, like even like going over this outline, like coming up with it and reading these things and thinking about it. I just feel like I know I already use the term like, oh, a nice balancing act, but it's like there's also a need for discretion and you don't have to air out family laundry. So I think like there is a really healthy balance of like you shouldn't be afraid to talk about your family, but also there are certain things that are just not anyone's business. It's not. And, you know, you look like a fool when you air things out that aren't for other people to know and that's your story with sexual abuse is your story and you need to do what is best for you when it comes to that but bringing up you know my dad like struggled with alcohol abuse and smoked and my mom this and you know it's just like okay no one needs to know that to understand the power of your story when it comes to sexual abuse those things, you need to recognize them. It needs to be discussed within your family unit and maybe even extended family if it involves them. But when it comes to like the outside world, like random people or even just people at your church, like there's so much that never needs to be disclosed because you want to respect your parents and you want to honor them, not lie for them or cover things up, but respect and honor them and, you know, not humiliate your family unit. I think that there's a lot to be said when it comes to discernment on what to share with who at what time. Those are all such important things. So in us talking about like, okay, your family should not promote denial or secrecy. Those are really unhealthy things. You also should not go around willy-nilly talking about huge family issues with random people or people you're not close to or don't have a good, um, you know, reciprocating, trusting relationship with. Yeah, I think the point is, do you have those trusted people in your life speaking into your family versus just telling anyone and everybody because you're like, well, everything's sweeped on the rug, so we need to just get it out there. Mm -hmm. I think if you're not dealing it with your family, then that's an issue. If you're just keeping it all secret inside and outside, that's different. But I think even just looking at it, even, you know, how you grew up or something, you were never allowed to talk about it. And how does that just affect your healing now? And who do you need to talk about outside of the family in the trusted environment of that? So, um, yeah, that's a good point, Anissa. And I think if you if you have those trusted people, 
you should be able to feel free to talk about it if you need to. Mm-hmm. And that's what's great about counselors because they are they are they are there to protect the information and also nurture your healing. So I think start start there if anything. If you want to be wise about it and protect your family, talk to a counselor because protecting your family isn't not talking about it because you feel bad. You know, it's talking about it but in a safe environment. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I actually, this this hits home to me really strongly because about a year to six months ago, I struggled hardcore with this because I wasn't healthy looking at my family. And I talked about their problems, our problems to anyone that would listen because I was trying to get validation through them. And I happened to do it a couple of times with my brother in the room and um, his girlfriend. And when I did it, um, she mentioned to my brother that it made her, not made her feel uncomfortable, but it was uncomfortable. And it truly was. I felt it too. I was like, oh my God, I'm sharing way too much, but I couldn't stop my mouth. Just was going. I've been there. I get that. And so what I did was to stop it, I called my brother. Anissa was in the room, but I remember I called my brother and I was like, we need to make a pact moving forward that if we ever feel anger towards our parents or frustrated about something, that we call each other to hash it out because only we understand our family dynamic. My husband can't, your girlfriend can't. It just, they don't get it. Like Siblings are so crucial to processing stuff with your parents. And he was like, right on, like, we should be doing that. And he was like, I'm sorry too. And we both apologized to each other. And I was like, And I will say, ever since I've done that, I have almost put a seal over my mouth because I was so embarrassed of how I was doing it, you know? I was, and that helped a lot. So maybe you're like me and you are on this, like, um, this movement of, like, let me embarrass my family, let me talk about them as much as possible because you want justification in how they've mistreated you or failed you or whatever, So one of the ways that you can stop that is by calling yourself out to somebody else and saying, hey, can you help me keep me accountable in this way? Like my brother did with me. And And we've done that. No, that's so great. And view it as almost like a, I don't want to say cry for help, but realize it as like, this is attached to something bigger. I need to be heard. So why am I talking to people who are not deserving of my feelings in this way? It means that my little soul is literally crying out to be heard and to be understood and seen. Like that's what it ties down to. It's not a matter of like, oh, I'm just this melodramatic, crazy person that has no control. It's literally your spirit saying like, okay, I need someone to look at me and be like, that's messed up. And I wish that wasn't the case for you. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. And you know what? I didn't get that from anybody, really, when I shared it. I got those, like, weird eyes, like, whoa, kind of thing. But you're right, Anissa. That's exactly what I was crying out for. I just wanted to be heard. I just wanted somebody to go, I'm sorry. It sucks that your family's like that. But, you know, or something. Hug me or something. I don't know. (laughs) And be like, regardless of what's going on at home, like you're freaking killing it with what you're doing. Like, I wish things were different, but like clearly that's not affecting the work you're doing. Great job. Yeah. And I would have, I would have been like, oh, cool. My brother does that. I will say my brother does that. And that's why I tend to share with him in the group setting. And then I'm like, wow, the whole table's listening. 
So, yeah. yeah. I think we can swing the pendulum, especially when we're silenced in our family. We're not allowed to talk. And I'm like, well, then we're going to talk about it. And then we sp- we swing to the other side. I know I've done that, too. And I think if, if you're if you're talking with your siblings and sometimes even that will be you'll have a backlash even talking about it with your siblings because you're not supposed to even talk about it with your siblings you know being okay with pushing past that rule and at least start there and a counselor and I think for me in the sense of like when the sexual abuse happened because it happened in my family so there was a whole other layer of dysfunction and a lot of secrets that came out and when um when you're having comments of like well don't tell anybody else because it's only between you and the person that sexually assaulted you and to push past that and say no I gotta tell the family because it needs to be said um this person needs to be um accountable for what they did and you know it's a whole different story when you're talking about your sexual abuse in that way and um willing to break the silence within your family unit and finding that balance where you're not spinning from one. But if you did, that's part of healing and, and getting a little bit unhinged because it happens and having kindness on yourself in that and being able to move forward. Okay, I went the other way and I'm learning how to do it. And I love that you, you called have to it relearn that it. Mm-hmm. unhinged because I think mm-hmm. so many times you don't realize how much emotion is attached to a particular feeling until you start talking about it. I think you can catch yourself off guard sometimes mm-hmm. when you start and you're like, you know what? And another freaking thing, you know, and you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. I was so mad about this yep. until I started talking about it. And so mm-hmm. Mariah is right. I think that's so important to have grace on yourself because unfortunately sometimes we don't decide when we want to process something and it happens in the midst of an impromptu conversation and is totally unplanned I'm sure Nicole didn't go into that dinner like you know what tonight I'm gonna bash a family member of course it just like it springs out of you because it's it's there so it's so important to be able to look at yourself after a situation like that and say, let me look at the bigger picture. What is this tied to? I didn't mean to, you know? Right. Well, this one was really good guys. Um, I got a lot out of this. I feel, um, like I got a lot to mull over tonight thinking through all of this and just definitely want to celebrate our families, but also not be, um, oblivious to the dysfunctions in our family because the more we're oblivious the more we don't deal with certain things or that not oblivious but um the more turn a blind eye turn a blind eye exactly and we definitely don't want you to do that so another thing we want you to think about is survivors keep their abuse a secret to protect their family from having to deal with the fact that the abuse is occurring or because the victim fears that someone will get hurt physically or emotionally or that the family unit will not survive the victim will endure the pain of the abuse rather than risk losing the family. So we want you to think about how and what you did to protect your family. Um, yeah, so if you're listening and you're like, I'm not ready to deal with the dysfunctions of my family, we say that's fine. Just keep coming back and we will continue to shed light on this next week. We'll talk to you then. I'm hanging on my phone. <laughs> Talk to you later. Anyways, Bye. um yeah, so just um call me back. <laughs>
Okay, bye. I just clicked in. <laughs> like, we were just phone mode. Yeah. I clicked in a phone mode. I'm like, oh, hey guys. Uh, yeah, text me later. <laughs> Meet me outside. Um, uh, okay, TGYL, guys. Okay, see you guys later. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We would love for you to subscribe so that you can get each and every episode right away. We'd also love to see you rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. Every time you share this podcast, it not only means the world to us, but it also gives us more exposure. So to learn more about us, go to treesofhope.org. Bye.